Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. The word hero is often overworked, but I want to introduce you to someone truly deserving of that title. His name is Latfula Najavasada, and for nearly 10 years he ran Tolo News, a 24-hour news network in Afghanistan, bravely and honestly telling that country's stories. He lost 11 colleagues during that time and lived himself under constant threat. Now a refugee from Taliban rule, he's a fellow at the University of Chicago's Institute of Politics. And listening to Latfula talk about the sacrifices he and his colleagues made for democracy makes you think about just how precious it is. Here's that conversation. Latfula, it's it's great great to see you again. Uh, how are you doing? Thank you, David. Uh, and it's great to be with you. Yeah. How, how are you doing? You're in Canada now? Right, right. Uh, this is where my parents are. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been visiting them and uh, hopefully I'll be back uh, to Chicago and uh, at the IOP very soon. I want to talk more about that later, about sort of this post Taliban takeover period and just the itinerant nature of your life uh, during this uh, during this period. But I really want to go back to the beginning of your story uh, because it's 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 quite extraordinary. It may not seem that way to you because you lived it, but you were born in 1987. This was at the very end of the Russian occupation of Afghanistan. Right. Uh, they left, and what ensued was essentially civil war. Uh, talk about those early years of your life, because you, then again, you you and your family moved around quite a bit in Afghanistan. Right, right. Yeah, uh, they left, uh, uh, I think, 89. So uh, I don't remember that. But uh, uh, the Soviet Union and the invasion, uh, I think, changed the country. Um, uh, and uh, their departure uh, also uh, resulted into uh, a civil war. Uh, David, when I remember uh, I was, I think, five when we were getting uh, rockets, RPGs, coming to our yard, to our house, and uh, one or two a day. Uh, and then uh, I think after you know a few days, uh, my parents said, well, we can't live here anymore. And we didn't know where to go. So we have been on the run. Where were you? Were you in Kabul at the time? We were in Kabul, yeah. We were in the western part of Kabul, known uh, for being brutally damaged and destroyed. Um, uh, if you look at pictures of you know Kabul during Civil War, particularly the western parts of the city, you don't see any standing building. 
Um, and uh, uh, yeah, and that's uh, when we started uh, moving. And I have been on the run since then. Yeah. I, you know, I, uh, I saw somewhere you describing uh, in 1997, you were living with your uncle and you described the experience of going outside and seeing bodies everywhere. And, um, and I'm, you know, I'm just wondering what, what does that do to a 10 year old kid? What does it do to a five year old to have, rockets uh you know landing all around you i think they leave you with uh, life lasting uh memories uh, and flashbacks and um, uh, and uh, you know some bitter uh, i think uh, you know memories of your life uh, I, I must say i i can never forget uh, the difficulty that my parents were going in just sending us to school they had to pay while both of them were unemployed. They had to pay for um, uh, for uh, the public school because the government there was no government back then, um, and um, uh, you know the civil war and the Taliban's uh, takeover of Mazar Sharif, uh, the incident that you are referring to. Uh, this is up in the north uh, of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, I think we were hiding for three days when the Taliban uh, tried to take over Mazar uh, in '96. Um, and uh, after three days, uh, we were going to school. And then uh, I think in that particular battle, uh, the Uzbek uh, uh, anti-Taliban commander, uh, General Massoud, or Marshal Massoud now, uh, sorry, uh, Dostum, Marshal Dostum, he... Um, he he probably killed around a thousand Taliban fighters. So we were seeing, you know, these fighters, uh, Taliban dead bodies, uh, as we were going to school. Um, and um, I think, you know, I, I can never forget that. Um, uh, it's, it's it tells us and me so much about the tragedy of Afghan life. Yeah, I mean, this is you as you're thirty. What are you thirty four now? 34, yeah. 34-year-old self. Uh, I'm just trying to – the reason I ask you, I'm so um, interested and horrified by this, is uh, my dad was a – he was a refugee from Eastern Europe, and he grew up during the pogroms there uh, again, against the Jews. And his uh, – his, they, they, they fled when their home was blown up. Someone threw a Molotov cocktail through their home. Uh, the you know window of their home and and he uh and he didn't talk much about this at all he didn't mm. want to talk about it uh but he did say to me once that he remembered going out with his father to get bread and having to step over bodies mm. uh, uh to do that and um you know i always wondered you know where in w- what place he kept all these memories uh, because they must have been scarring uh, to him, and I'm sure, and, I'm sure it's difficult yeah. to talk about it. It's difficult yeah. to you can't wake up every day and then um, sort of remember, you know, the terrible things happened to you and people that you cared and loved, uh, and and you know uh, your country and your people in general. Yeah, especially especially for especially for a child, you know, how do you how do you even process that as a child you know 
uh, children are supposed to be playing and uh, imagining and uh, not burdened with uh, the specter of violence and dead bodies. Uh, honestly, some of we, we have children a few miles from here in Chicago who are living something of the same reality. You know, there's a lot of violence on the streets, mm. a lot of death. Um, and I just wonder uh, if, uh, you know, we're, cre- we're creating a generation of children there, as was the case in Afghanistan with like post-traumatic stress syndrome. Right. From everything that's in I think we, we, I mean, uh, for a lot of, it's, it's not just me in Afghanistan. It's, uh, you know, it's not just uh, children of my neighborhood. I think, I think this applies to uh, one, two or three generations of people uh, uh, in the country who have missed their childhood uh, uh, totally. Um, uh, we didn't have uh, t- t- television set, uh, you know, at our home uh, until I think I was, I don't know, 15 or something. Um, uh, we didn't have, uh, you know, I've never been to a park, uh, uh, you know, uh, not, 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 not that I remember, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, b- b- before 10 or 12. So I think, uh, you know, this particular part of our life, uh, as people call it, childhood. Now that you know, I have a three-year-old and two-year-old. Yes, uh, I can't compare. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, we're refugees again. Uh, uh, but uh, but you can't compare it to what uh, to what you know we went through, and what when what so many Afghan children are still going. Yes. Well, I want to get to that because that that there are horrors associated with that that. We need to shine a light on, but um, what what did your par- How did your parents explain all of this to you, or was it just a uh, just a fact of life? I think it's uh, you know it's, it's destiny. It's um, it's um, uh, it's something that um, happened to, to so many people. Um, I think uh, they were just uh, lucky and happy that we were alive. Yeah, and why were they so determined that you go to school? What was their what was their hope? What was their dream for you I, I think I think education was uh, was something very very uh, serious uh, in our larger family not just my my, my parents uh, my uncles and I think my grandfather uh, who was uh, this uh, uh, semi-religious scholar who gave up on sending uh, his sons to madrasa but instead sending them to modern school that was um, uh, already a revolution, uh, I think, in the village that he was living in. Uh, and uh, I think that set a precedence to um, uh, our, you know, people in the family, in our family, to go to school. Um, uh, we were living um, uh, in Ghazni during the Civil War in the 90s, early 90s. Um, and I was very young, and I wanted to go to... Uh, I wanted to go to Iran to just, I don't know, you know, become a child laborer or something. Um, and then my, my, my father and my, you know, and my mom said, you know, uh, we will never allow you to follow the pattern or the path of uh, probably thousands of other teenagers who were going from that village to, uh, to Iran to work. Because, you know, that was the Shia village. Mm-hmm. And I come from Shia parents. So, so Iran was this traditional destination. 
mm-hmm. uh, that they wanted to go. But also others, you know, were going to Pakistan, you know, uh, and, and uh, you know, others were going to, to the Gulf countries. So I, I think that was one instruction and decision from my parents that I never forget. They said, you know, this is not the path that, you know, we want you to choose. And this was happening at some of the most difficult times uh, uh, you know, of, of my life. They wanted you to. They wanted you to stay. They wanted me to stay with them, uh, but, but in, at the same time, go to school. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I know, I know that it was pretty hard for them to even um, uh, afford uh, the, the very basic uh, needs of of, of us, uh, you know, going to school. You became a you. You focused on journalism quite young. Uh, why did you? Uh, how did you come to that conclusion? And there, what, what was the state of journalism in Afghanistan at that time in your life? I think you were 17 when you started right. working for a newspaper. Right. I think, I think when the U.S. invaded uh, Afghanistan or, or, or after the Taliban uh, regime was toppled in 2001, we felt, David, that the country was liberated. There was this... Uh, you know, vibe of freedom in the air. Um, and with that freedom, then you have this energy in you that you want to do things. Um, and I think uh, part of that in our, in our bigger family was that, you know, we should, uh, we, were, we were still quite young. I mean, cousins and others, you know, we wanted to, we want to get involved politically. Um, uh, particularly coming from a minority, that was uh, an extra sort of sense of freedom in our family that, you know, we should be, we should be more involved. So uh, um, a cousin or two were already in the media business, um, and, uh, you, know, and, you know, doing some journalism, and, and, and that somehow encouraged us to do, to do more. Um, uh, so uh, in Open Mazar, uh, even my family started uh, uh, a small uh, family newspaper, uh, which we took a lot of pride for it. Um, uh, and uh, that cousin of mine, uh, who is also now in Canada, um, so 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 he was he was uh, uh, you know giving us the, this opportunity. Um, uh, so we become you know all of us. Uh, I think at some point we were about twelve or fifteen journalists in the family. We became we all we all became you know this accidental journalists. Um, uh, some some of us stayed in the business, uh, uh, and uh, the more genius ones, you know, moved on. And they, they tried, they tried, they tried other things. <laughs> you, uh, your your first job was not as a writer, but as a or reporter, but as a designer, uh, right. of, of of the newspaper. How did you make the transition from designing uh, this small paper to becoming a reporter and a writer? I think I, uh, yeah, I, and uh, this friend of mine uh, who uh, who was uh, uh, who who had this uh, small newspaper in Mazar asked me to come and help with designing because he had nobody else. And then in his uh, his family home, he had this uh, you know one of these old computers. Uh, he did not even have a, a a desk, so that computer was on the floor, and I was spending hours, you know. Uh, every day designing uh, pages of, of, of that, uh, you know, A4 uh, uh, newspaper prints. Um, so that's how I started. And then, uh, you know, I started going to conferences and others. Um, and then I, I moved on to um, uh, a more serious uh, journalism work with, uh, with NATO. 
Uh, so NATO uh, uh, had the largest, owned the largest newspaper uh, in the country. It was a biweekly, uh, colorful uh, magazine type. Uh, um, and then they had journalists throughout the country because, uh, uh, you know, I was interested. So they posted me uh, in, in Polikhomri. It's another town in northern Afghanistan. And uh, I think I was just 18 um, and uh, very young. Uh, that was the first time, you know, I was on my own um, uh, in a place where I had, I had, I knew no one. So that's, I think that's where my real journalistic career began. Ultimately, uh, a, a group called Mobi, a, a big media group formed in Afghanistan. They were starting a 24-hour news uh, network, Tolo News. Uh, you became the director of this network at the age of 24. How, how did that happen? I was, yeah, so Mobi Group is, uh, you know, uh, or has been this, uh, this uh, amazing uh, media group in the country. Um, I was uh, traveling. I was uh, attending an, an online journalism training in Germany with a, a journalist from uh, from uh, back then Tolo TV. Tolo News didn't exist uh, in 2008, I think. Um, and then on the way back to Kabul, uh, he asked me that if, if he wanted me to. Uh, he asked me if I if I was interested to to come and join them. I said, Yeah, why not? So, so that's how uh, you know he introduced me, and I went uh, for for a job interview, and I, I, I think I got it. But I, I, I was initially the head of online, um, so um, for for Mobi Group, uh, 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 and then I think a year later, they um, realized uh, that it was essential for the country, a country full of news like Afghanistan, to come up with a twenty four seven news channel. Um, so, so Tolo News was established in two thousand and ten. And I was involved uh, with it, you know, from the initial days. I was already in, in the company, uh, leading um, a significant part of the newsroom, uh, and that's how, you know, I um, uh, I, I jumped uh, the ladder. Uh, I think um, uh, 2011, um, uh, I officially became the head of Tolo News. Um, uh, that I was, I think, uh, yes, I, I must say I was pretty young. If I had the opportunity today, I would have, I, I should have probably uh, rejected it. Yeah, why? <laughs> I think I was probably too young for the job. You know, I had to make sure I, I put a tie on every day. And uh, <laughs> and so for people to, to people to take me serious, uh-huh. right? You know, this country of um, uh, traditional warlords and politicians and, and, uh, and uh, religious leaders, who who don't who don't think who don't take young people quite seriously, um, and especially if you don't come from a very pr- prominent background. So um, so I had to really make sure I'm noticed. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more of the Axe Files. And now back to the show. They came to take you and Tolo News quite seriously very quickly because you guys were aggressively covering the country, um, including conflicts in the country. And you have a country that where there are powerful, as you say, warlords, there are drug dealers, there are all kinds of uh, uh, rough characters. Uh, and right. then, of course, the Taliban uh, relentlessly trying to get back uh, into power. 
Um, and you, I guess the first years were, uh, you know, challenging, but not as dangerous. And then you had this uh, situation in uh, Kanduz in, in, in 2015, uh, where the Taliban briefly overtook the town. Right. And, uh, and you guys did a story about the rape of uh, young women, college students in, in, in housing uh, there by these insurgents. And suddenly the Taliban that uh, had basically coexisted with you or at least tolerated you, uh, branded you as uh, essentially a- enemies, as military targets. Um, right. Tell me about that period because that was, it seems like that's a real, that was a real shift in the story for you, for the network. Yes. As we were gaining more experience and becoming more comfortable with the job, the environment was becoming more uncomfortable. Um, uh, I think um, uh, the list of uh, people who hated free press and uh, journalists who were asking questions was getting longer and longer. So as you said, it was not just uh, the Taliban, uh, drug lords, uh, you know, mafia, uh, just strong men. Um, um, and at the local level, uh, you know, pro- pro- probably uh, you know, for local journalists at provincial levels, um, uh, they, they, they were... They were uh, even even more uh, of, of a challenge to operate. I think uh, Afghanistan was this. Um, Afghanistan had the freest press in the entire region, while being one of the deadliest country for journalists. So that is such an um, uh, I think uh, a weird yeah uh, paradox yeah uh, par- right. It's, it's, it's a paradox, uh, and I think uh, I think that is because the journalists in that country really wanted. To, uh, to, to make a difference and go after stories. Um, uh, and after 2015, the incident that you, uh, that you referred to, um, we became, uh, we were already part of the Afghan politics, but we became really this, we, we, we became uh, a, a tool for the Taliban and others to use it for political purposes. And we tried to convince them and others that you know uh, we should uh, they should treat us um, as as a neutral independent organization. Um, they shouldn't try to politicize the Afghan media, uh, particularly Tolo News. But I think I think that was too late. Um, and as a result, you know, we had to engage with them, and then I had to travel. Other colleagues had to travel, talk to them, and before the beginning of the peace process uh, with the U.S. Uh, as well as after that, in order to make sure we can safeguard some of those some of those changes. And these conversations, I mean, they they you know they have, had already branded you as belligerents. Were you worried for your safety when you went to meet with them? Uh, was there was there menace associated with that? We were worried and uh, we were worried and concerned about our lives in Kabul more than we were when we were meeting with them in Doha. Uh, and elsewhere, um, uh, and um, uh, it was becoming more and more difficult, um, uh, particularly w- when I was placed under a stricter security regime. Uh, you know that I had to uh, first they said you know I have to use an armored car, and then uh, uh, one bodyguard, two bodyguards, right? So it started you know adding, uh, yeah. and then change house you know from one place to another. Don't go home for an entire month, and then change your house. 
it came to a point where they were asking me to paint your car. So, so if, if you have a white car, so paint it to black. Um, and then next month, you know, you know, change the color again. Um, from that perspective, I think, I think the threat was serious. Uh, it was not just the Taliban, but Daesh and others. Right. But I, I should point out, it, it, just a year after that incident, uh, you, were, you were in your compound, and you had a secure compound uh, where your news operation was housed, uh, and you got word of a, uh, of a bombing of a, of, a, of a bus. And tell me about that and what that, what that meant to, what you learned that very quickly that meant to you and your organization. It was a tragic evening, um, uh, January 20th, uh, 2016, when a Taliban car bomb, uh, just 100 days uh, after they threatened us uh, and labeled us as a military target, uh, they, uh, they hit uh, a bus carrying my colleagues uh, back, back to their homes uh, in western part of the city. Uh, and as a result, uh, we lost seven colleagues. Seventeen others were wounded. Um, uh, let me was, just ask you. Let me, let me just stop for a second. You, this bus was a bus that you, in order to sort of protect their safety, is that why you had a bus that took the colleagues to their homes? Uh, we were providing transportation, given that you know Kabul and Afghanistan in general, and Kabul in particular, doesn't have you know much of a, you know uh-huh. established I, uh, public I transport. See. So we were providing we were providing you know transportation for for our staff, um, and this bus was taking them back home at seven at uh, I think at around five five p.m. Um, uh, it was um, uh, it was um, like now I think uh, it was it was a, it was a winter uh, night. Um, uh, it was dark already uh, when the bus was hit. Um, and then uh, we had to rush to the. I think we started reporting. Our crew arrived there before uh, we learned that you know this was our bus. So, yeah. so so they started reporting about it as just another incident. And then we realized that you know it was our colleagues. Uh, and then we had to rush and, and uh, to the hospitals to find out you know who's dead and who's alive and uh, what can be done about it. Unfortunately, that was just the beginning targeted killings of journalists. I know how serious you are about journal. I mean, and I'm a former journalist, and I can right. only imagine that you were torn in two directions, ripped apart by the loss of your colleagues and committed to covering the story. You were probably, you know, I mean, that must have been, what an agonizing, difficult night. We were mourning. But at the same time, we were reporting, which was our our main duty. Um, uh, you know, my colleagues who were reporting live from the scene, they had tearful eyes. Um, but we couldn't become sensational or too um, um, carried away as, because that was the story of Afghans every day. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 but it was it was very painful because you know it was so close to to our hearts. Um, and uh, particularly when you go to hospitals, you know, I remember that evening um, trying to identify bodies and burn bodies, you know, burned and, and, and you and then you have to match them with their IDs and then call their families and um, uh, and uh, and more painful to see the wounded 
um, um, uh, you know, and and similar incidents happened the you know years later, um, and it became unfortunately a routine. Yeah. Uh, um, so looking into all of that, I'm very happy that there is this at least pause in 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 bloodshed. Although the price uh, is very high for that, that you know, uh, I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk about uh, yes. talk about it. Uh, but but that was um, but that, I think I think we then we had to uh, talk to all our colleagues to to to, uh, to identify whether shutting down the business uh, and the and the TV channel was the best option or 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 to continue that. And then most people, an overwhelming majority of over, I think ninety five percent, they said you know that in order to honor their sacrifices, we should keep up. I know, as I said, I know what it's like to be uh, in a newsroom. I grew up in one, and uh, my colleagues were my family. Right. They were my family. I loved them. I knew all about their lives. Uh, I spent more time with them than I spent with my own uh, family. And you were, and you also were responsible for them. Uh, you know, you were the young leader of this organization. How did you, how did you deal with your grief? I cried um, when I had a chance. I have uh, hardly spoken about it, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you know I get a chance years later now that you know I talk to you about it. But um, uh, it, it it breaks you. It's not easy. It somehow leaves you with scars and uh, with damage that you know you take it with you uh, throughout your life. Yeah, your mom wanted you to quit. But that's what, you know, every mom, you know, uh, <laughs> does, right? So <laughs> What about what about your wife? Uh, you know, because you mentioned that you had to stay away from the uh, I wasn't I, I got married in 2018. So 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 This so was that after that incident, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but by um, that time you were under constant threat. Right, right, right. And then I, I think I was. She married was you telling, anyway, huh? Well, uh, yeah, I must, I must thank her for that. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and uh, she was. Um, I think she realized that you know she was uh, subscribing to a difficult life. Back in in 2016, 2017, the change in our life was so dramatic. Um, uh, and then I was telling my mom that you know, who, who was also pushing me very hard, not just to quit but also to get married. Uh -huh. uh, as as the only son in in the family, uh, you know, uh, I think she badly wanted to see some uh, grandchildren, um, and then uh, you know she was, uh, and then I was like, you know, I'll I'll get married when uh, Afghanistan becomes peaceful, right? Uh, <laughs> and then she was. And she said she could wait, huh? Well, she said no. She said, you know, you're gonna you're gonna die single. So uh, you know the. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I gave up on that idea of uh, Afghanistan Waiting. becoming 100% you know, peaceful. I, I want to talk about what happened subsequent to that and the, the, the peace process that failed. And, but what do you want people to know about these colleagues that you lost? Ultimately, you lost 11, and they were representative of many others across the country. But you knew these 11 people. Of course. What, what did you? What do you want people I to want, know about I want them? Pe I want people to know that these beautiful souls and vi young and vibrant Afghans—they had a dream, 
uh, in the most difficult circumstances in one of the most difficult countries in the world. And uh, they uh, believed in themselves and then they believed in the future of their country. Um, I, I think uh, they were working so hard. One of the journalists, Samin Faramars, uh, who we lost uh, on April uh, 5, uh, 2018, uh, and, uh, uh, he was covering, he was done with his shift. So he stayed in the office to cover uh, you know, another story. Um, and then he went to cover suicide bombing uh, while uh, a second bomb went off. Uh, and uh, Samim and uh, Ramiz were killed instantly uh, on that evening. Uh, and that says so much about their commitment to, to their country. So when we talk about Afghanistan, it's not just about numbers. Uh, these are you know, real stories of people uh, who uh, made the who paid the ultimate sacrifice, and uh, they really worked hard. Um, I think I think their memories, you know, need to be remembered uh, in Afghanistan and abroad. Uh, and I'm very happy you brought up that uh, that point. The value and the importance to any uh, any country, certainly any free country, any democratic country, of a uh, of of a free press, of a media that's shining a bright light in dark corners, uh, often at great personal risk, uh, is something that we, we should value and protect and appreciate. And the world's become more dangerous for journalists uh, in the last uh, decade. And uh, that's a, uh, that should be a, a red flag for people across the the world, and we should honor the, the memory of your colleagues and every journalist who dies trying to bring a story, bring the story uh, to people, trying to shine that bright light uh, in the corner corners of our of our globe. Um, I want to ask you: you you in 2019, you were a part of a civil society group that met with the Taliban in Doha, and you've been sort of, you know, you monitored the whole process when. Did you have hope for that process? Did you think it was possible to to reach some sort of a, a working accommodation? We had no other choice but to give it a try. That, I believed, uh, being the only solution to bringing lasting peace, ending the conflict and bringing lasting peace. But the process went terribly wrong. That uh, disappointed us. Uh, why, why did it go terribly wrong? Um, I think I think the Taliban's uh, understanding of uh, their talks with the United States was uh, something else, and the U.S. expectation of the Taliban uh, was probably unrealistic. And in the process of U.S. Taliban trying to uh, come to terms, we lost an administration, a government in Af in Kabul in Afghanistan um, as a collateral damage. Um, I think I think that process of two years or three years of uh, U.S. Taliban talks resulted in um, demoralizing the Afghan forces, resulted in um, letting people in the country down. Um, um, uh, but, but at the same time, we didn't have, I, 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 you know, I want to be very honest about it, we didn't have the right leader in Afghanistan as well, who ultimately, of course, you know, gave up and fled the country at the hour that we needed uh, leadership from him. 
and sacrifice. Uh, he fled the country with a, with a, you know, with a bunch of advisors and friends. You're talking about Ghani, of course. Right. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more of the Axe Files. And now, back to the show. At what point did you conclude, or was there a point before August 15th, that the government was going to fall? I was uh, in Islamabad in June 2021, interviewing Pakistan foreign minister and uh, attending uh, a track to uh, uh, meeting as well. Um, with Pakistani officials. And I realized, uh, because of the Taliban's deep relationship with Pakistan, I realized uh, that uh, the Taliban was uh, strongly uh, determined uh, to take over the country militarily. Um, and I, uh, when I came back to Kabul, uh, I, I, let, uh, I shared my views with uh, with friends and and, and others, uh, you know, who who uh, whom, whom I thought you know they should they should know that um, that was probably in my view the end of uh, of the political uh, process. Uh, Taliban were taking districts uh, after another um, uh, two or three uh, up to five a day from four hundred districts of Afghanistan. Um, uh, but then I think towards the end of July, it was obvious um, uh, that this government uh, would not last. Um, the 15th of August, the day and how it happened, I think that was uh, um, unexpected. Uh, a lot of people were expecting formal uh, transition to the Taliban or to a, a, a shared uh, Taliban, non-Taliban uh, political setup. Um, uh, I think Ghani's uh, escape uh, did not allow that to happen. Uh, probably the Taliban were also too confident by then uh, that it was not necessary uh, for, for a political uh, uh, compromise on their end uh, now that we know, uh, we've heard uh, from uh, U.S. negotiators uh, after the fall of Kabul that the Taliban had agreed to give 40% of power to non-Taliban groups. Well, was it uh, going to be better than what we have today? Yes. But um, uh, was it really enough? Um, probably some people uh, argue otherwise. Mm-hmm. I think, to your question, I think, I think in the last couple of months, uh, the standing of the republic was very, very shaky. Could the story have been different, Latfula? Has, and talk about the, the U.S. role. You talked about what the U.S. intervention in Afghanistan in 2001 meant in terms of liberating the country and ushering in this uh, era of uh, relative freedom uh, that uh, ha- you know had been enjoyed before, but um, were there things that could have been done that would have uh, stabilized the country, short of a continued major military presence of the U.S. and NATO? 
Yes, yes, of course. I think the list of mistakes is very long. The first mistake, in my view, uh, was to ignore uh, uh, the Taliban in 2001 in the Bonn conference. I think, I think when they laid uh, the foundation of, uh, of a new Afghanistan, uh, they should have seen the fault lines. Um, 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 and they should have seen, you know, what uh, the Talibs uh, really, uh, uh, really wanted. Taliban leaders now say that their options were very limited, either go to Guantanamo or Bagram prison or go to the mountains. So they were not given, uh, they were not given an opportunity to, uh, to even come and live in a dignified, uh, uh, you know, life, uh, have a dignified life. Um, um, let alone including them in the political process. So that's one. Second, I think um, the uh, engagement with Pakistan, I mean, you can tell us about your time in office yeah, uh, yes. uh, in, in 2009, and uh, particularly 2008-2009 when, um, when the new strategy was being developed in, in Washington. I think I think the pressure on Pakistan uh, wasn't wasn't there to really change the course, and uh, they always managed uh, to uh, to find a way. Um, by Pakistan, I don't mean to generalize Pakistan. Uh, of course, you know we're talking about the specific groups here uh, within within the Pakistani establishment. You're talking about it in terms of uh, in terms of harboring harboring uh, terrorists Taliban. and right. Right. I mean, Quetta Shura is a Pakistan city, right? Peshawar mm-hmm. Shura is a Pakistan city, right? Miram Shah Shura is a Pakistan town, right? So these were these were not hideouts of the Taliban. These were, you know, declared, sort of celebrated um, uh, headquarters of, of yeah. Taliban, and uh, yeah, and they the, were the quiet ascendants of the Pakistani. Military establishment and the government. I think I think that that you can never you can never uh, deny uh, was was very systematic uh, and effective um, uh, to uh, to to fund uh, and lead the insurgency. Um, also, you know, at great price uh, in their own country, uh, TTP and, and and the victims of uh, you know. Pakistani people. I think third was third mistake was probably uh, the U.S. engagement with certain elements and groups within Afghanistan. Um, uh, the investment in uh, in individuals rather than institutions. Uh, I think uh, individualizing the Afghan policy uh, on the U.S. front was definitely a mistake, both uh, under Karzai as well as under Ghani. And when that individual goes rogue. Or, or you know, drifts the lane, then you can you can see the consequences, yeah. and the consequences are not as desired as, as you can expect. And then the last piece of mistake of the past twenty years was the U.S. Uh, and the way U.S. Taliban negotiations were conducted. Uh, initially, uh, it was uh, a four-segment, intertwined, interconnected um, a strategy uh, that uh, uh, the U.S. Taliban deal. Should uh, should be only a- applicable if the Afghan Taliban deal is there, but we secured the first one, lost the second one, um, 
and 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 I think I think it was it was a winner take all for the Taliban. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of controversy here now. Looking back at the uh, at the events leading up to the exit and the execution of the exit, and some of it has to do with um, whether an evacuation of of uh, U.S. personnel, but also Afghans who've been cooperative and helpful to the U.S. should have begun much earlier than it did. Uh, is that is that a fair critique? I think so. Uh, I think the uh, withdrawal was chaotic. We were all talking about Saigon moment, and now we have a Kabul moment. People, um, you know, jumping on the planes and um, you know, hanging and yeah, yeah. The, the those images are indelible. Uh, right. People you know, hanging on the skids and yeah. Right, and I think I think that tells us so much about. Uh, how um, ill-prepared the withdrawal was for U.S. citizens, for NATO um, uh, allies, um, as well as for Afghan partners. I think I think that's, that that criticism is well founded, uh, and I, I I'm, I'm glad that I see that the U.S. administration is engaging with the Taliban about safe passage of those who are at risk, because uh, Afghanistan is not safe. Uh, for for people who think otherwise, um, uh, even if it, even if it is somewhat safe at the moment, there isn't safety and Im, and Im, and immunity for uh, an impunity for for um, uh, for those who work for U.S. and other governments. Uh, there is that risk, and we see a lot of extrajudicial killings in Afghanistan right now. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you about the situation on the ground in Afghanistan, but before I do. Talk about you. You left the country during this period as well. Tell me how you uh, navigated that that transition. I mean, there must have been some real, real concern that if uh, w- once the uh, Taliban took control, that you, you would be high on their list of of uh, uh, of people to reckon with. Well, I don't know if I told you, I was in Oslo three weeks ago um, uh, for, no. for for talks with the Taliban. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and uh, it was the first time that a group of civil society, members of the civil society in their individual capacities had a chance to sit down with the Taliban in greater detail and discuss uh, a potential roadmap for the future. And uh, because I still believe in talks, I still believe in, um, in, in engagement. That and did you leave, is- to, were you encouraged by that discussion? I, I was, um, I was, uh, I'm happy that at least uh, we had an opportunity to share our strong views and our beliefs. Um, uh, if you tell me I'm super excited that uh, things will change, I'm probably not. But uh, would it would have been different if I hadn't uh, at least shared my views and not attended the conference? On the ground, I mean, you're not there, but obviously you're communicating with people um, what what is the situation on the ground in Afghanistan? You know there is uh, we hear a lot. Obviously, there's economic pressures on Afghanistan. Uh, the Taliban are trying to figure out how to run a country again, uh, and uh, you know the the predictions of just a massive humanitarian disaster uh, are very very strong. Um, Tell me, tell me what the the situation on the ground is. Well, 
the Taliban are ruling the country. I'm not sure if they're really governing you know, the country. Um, uh, there is this end of conflict, David, uh, but it doesn't mean lasting peace. So uh, how to bridge that end of conflict and a lasting permanent peace um, is, I think, is, I think the, um, the question of the hour. And that's where a political process is needed. What you see in Afghanistan right now is, of course, less people are dying, which is good. Uh, but at the same time, there is this widespread nationwide you know, uh, sense of hopelessness, this lack of confidence. You know, everyone wants to leave the country. Um, uh, uh, this humanitarian crisis that you mentioned, um, uh, two-thirds of Afghans do not have enough food this winter. Um, uh, and 95 to 97% uh, of Afghans are going to be under poverty line next year. Five million kids are facing acute malnutrition um, as we speak. Um, um, and, and, uh, uh, but at the same time, you see this peaceful resistance happening by women of Afghanistan um, who were not necessarily um, uh, activists, right activists uh, under the Republic. Uh, they were coming, they, you know, they are coming from different professions and backgrounds, and because they don't see a future for themselves, they come to the streets and protest. Um, um, and, and that says so much about you know, some of these restrictions, and, and of course the restrictions on media, um, uh, uh, that uh, the Taliban's, I think, interference, particularly from their intelligence agency, um, in the day-to-day affairs of media, is something unprecedented and painful for somebody like me to see. You, you, you've resigned as the director of Tolo News. You were, for, for some period after you left the country, you were trying to manage the, the network uh, from abroad. You, you're no longer doing that. Right. Um, I'm not sure if I really worked hard enough after the fall of Kabul, simply because you can't run a newsroom from, from afar. Yeah, right. Um, 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 uh, but I kept the title uh, based on suggestions from colleagues who didn't want uh, more controversy um, um, when they had enough uh, on their plates. Um, but at, at some point, you know, I realized that uh, I haven't I haven't said it publicly yet. But uh, at some point, you know, I thought um, uh, maybe I should just simply put an end uh, to uh, to this phase of you know, my professional life. Uh, so um, I stepped down. Um, uh, and as you said, uh, I think before the beginning of our conversation that probably 10 years is, uh, is, uh, is good enough, for, you know, of a, <laughs> of a period. I think mine was just a little bit more than that. You, you've talked about the, and you, you talked about it earlier here, about the impact that the transition had. And, you know, you had, uh, and this is related to the protests you've talked about, but uh, women's rights, young girls going to school, uh, a free press, uh, a, 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 a interaction with the world that didn't exist before through, I mean, Tolo and the network and Tolo News uh, uh, brought the world to people. The internet brought the world uh, to people. And you've said 
you can't unring that bell that once you once you give people that uh experience it, you can't t- you can't turn the clock back um, exactly and has that has that proven out i mean i think that protests in kabul is something that we didn't have when the taliban were there first time around uh women of afghanistan weren't as empowered and educated and informed as they are today uh and that says so much about some of the real gains of the past 20 years that cannot be undone uh you know i agree with you i think it's um, uh, as i said you know the taliban can rule the country um, uh, but, but they won't be able to deliver and govern and and, uh, and have public support uh on this on the say really change uh on the stay re- uh, well probably it's also it's also difficult to, to expect and change but they at least should see other changes around them um and 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 commit to an ecosystem where all these realities can can coexist that's true certainly in the short run when you have people who have experienced the last 20 years it, will that be true 5 10 years from now 20 years is a very long time and some of the surveys that i uh, i had seen before fall of kabul was putting approval rating of democracy on a republic system you know more than 80% and this mm-hmm. comes from rural afghanistan this comes from you know not necessarily the, the the urban areas and that says so much about you know what kind of vision afghans have for themselves and and, and what kind of country they want um, um and i think i think they have tested it they have tested freedom they have tested free press they have tested international engagement you know what what they have right now is not what they what they wished for even from a security point of view there's no guarantee that you know the current uh, i think the structure in afghanistan is guaranteeing security in afghanistan as well as those who are involved uh, particularly the, the united states uh, who does not want another 9/11 to got uh, to happen and um what is your message to americans well i think america was um um uh, part of an afghanistan story that um uh, uh changed the country for better i think uh, the afghan people or me as an individual here i'm grateful to the american people for what they have uh, you know what they have, what they have done and their support for the afghan cause um uh, as 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 uh, as an american policy american administration policy you know we can go into greater detail and analyze that and, and go through a list of mistakes which we briefly did earlier but i think i think to 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 you know ordinary american public and and listeners of our conversation i'm you know they should be proud of their engagement with afghanistan and uh, and uh, they you know they made real difference and uh, i'm sure afghans are grateful and what now what should america be be thinking and doing now i think the good thing that's happening is that if the taliban are abandoned or semi abandoned the people of afghanistan are not the us is still the largest donor to the country 500 million dollars have been paid to afghanistan for the humanitarian support in the past 6 months i think that that support should continue because that's when uh, the afghan people need it the most we can debate how and when uh, to to make sure uh, that the taliban uh, are not benefited uh, uh, from that support 
and, and use it to uh, suppress the Afghan people more. But um, I, think, uh, I think that engagement with the Afghan people uh, should continue. Um, and uh, uh, it shouldn't be after the Cold War when uh, the international community, the U.S., just for, forgot about uh, everything in Afghanistan, including its people. I see that distinction this time around. So tell me about your, your life uh, now. You, I mean, we, we've been speaking a lot, and you've been a, a, a wonderful, splendid fellow at the Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago, uh, you're in Canada right now uh, with your family. But um, in addition to all of the um, responsibilities and all of the memories with which you are burdened, uh, you really have been kind of trying to figure out where to live. And um, tell me what that's been like and, uh, and, and, and how you and your family are managing. Well... I want to live in Afghanistan. I, I still, sometimes, you know, I wake up and, and I miss, you know, going to the office and, and meeting people and friends. But it's difficult. Uh, I think the adjustment is going to take a lot of time. Uh, I'm still undecided on so many fronts, whether that's uh, professional, you know, uh, or personal. Um, uh, I think uh, uh, I might, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be involved uh, with things related to the Afghan media, uh, particularly, um, um, but, but in general with Afghanistan. I think um, uh, if, if I can contribute to, um, to, to that country in one way or another, I think that's what I owe back to Afghanistan. Have you tried to go back? No. Uh, I went to Pakistan uh, in uh, November, and I wanted to, uh, uh, I wanted to go in and, 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 and discuss uh, and sit down with the Taliban uh, in Kabul, but then some friends suggested that I shouldn't do it because in, in, in that particular week that I was in Islamabad, uh, the, um, the Taliban had issued a very strong anti-media statement uh, that was not leaving a lot of room for meaningful interactions. I think probably it's not necessarily a safety issue, but it's definitely a productivity and impact issue, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whether, 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 you know, you are free to do whatever you want. I think that's, uh, um, you know, that's probably my, my, my biggest concern. You mentioned earlier that you have two small children. Um, and what do you want for them? You obviously, you described the way you grew up. What do you want for them? And how much does that weigh on your decision? I think a lot. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't know it, you know, before <laughs> before I had children, um, and um, uh, I definitely don't want them to go through, you know, uh, the difficulties that, that I went through. Um, but at the same time, I don't want them to forget Afghanistan or or, or where we come from, um, and uh, what does that mean to uh, to me and to their mother and. Uh, and to their, you know, grandparents. Um, uh, I, I, I hope, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm, I'm an optimist. Uh, I, I hope that, you know, um, uh, the current situation in the country um, uh, changed for better. I believe the status quo, the Taliban's uh, current way of ruling won't last long. You know, it, it either goes south 
or or they commit to a political process and improve the situation. And if that changes, um, you know, the, um, I think I think the best place for us, you know, is is the place that we know that we know best. Latfula, you are a great inspiration to me. I feel honored to know you. I uh, appreciate the sacrifice of you and your colleagues uh, and your struggle. I'm sure we're going to hear a lot from you in the years to come. Thank you. Thank you, David. Uh, an honor. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's an honor to know you. And thank you for the opportunity that you gave me uh, to be a fellow with the Institute of Politics. Well, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, brought to you by the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN Audio. The executive producer of the show is Allison Siegel. The show is also produced by Miriam Finder Annenberg, Jeff Fox, and Hannah Grace McDonald. And special thanks to our partners at CNN, including Rafina Ahmad, Courtney Coop, Ashley Lusk, and Megan Marcus. For more programming from the IOP, visit politics.uchicago.edu. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.